Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with our fifth episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast for 2021 in season two, uh, brought to you in part by Vidyard, Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411, and Wingman. So if you're looking for those technologies to help support you as you grow your 2021 revenue, those are the folks to speak with. And I'm super excited to talk to Brendan Cassidy today because he's got a ton of experience advising places like Showpad and um, Saster and um, Docebo and TalkDesk and all kinds of places. So I think he brings a great, great uh, persona and background to our story. But uh, Brendan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, uh, thank, thanks for inviting me and uh, happy to be here. I'm super excited for this episode. Brendan doesn't know this and I've never told him before but i'm going to say it out loud right now there are very few people in the in the sales you know community if you will that i truly look at as as uh, somebody who's like an idol somebody for me to aspire to and somebody who's been through the gamut more than once and brendan's shaking his head go ahead get embarrassed brendan it doesn't matter uh and so i've been like a i've been like a brendan like fanboy if you will for a long time because here's a guy who was in very early at LinkedIn building out corporate sales, then becomes the VP of sales at EchoSign, then is the VP of sales at TalkDesk. And it's like, you know, Richard, you know this, I've been a VP of sales six times, right? In building something from scratch. Brendan is like a version of me that did it right like every single time. <laughs> and me- so I have, I have admired Brendan, uh, you know, from afar for, for quite a while. And I'm, well, I'm let me, let me just warn you, Brendan, when you, you know, Brendan Scott's been a fanboy of me for so long and I'm just going to tell you, you got to watch out because <laughs> yeah. he's so not never going to no, stop uh, texting you. Yes. So, um, That's right. you know, yeah, before I, you know it, you'll be, uh, you'll be surfing with me in, uh, in Costa Rica, Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, you know, it, it starts to hurt my back, not because I'm older than Scott, but because I'm having to carry him everywhere. Right. So <laughs> touche, touche. Yeah. Well, Brendan, t- tell everybody. I admire what Scott. I admire. I, yeah. Um, so yeah. So for about four and a half years, I was consulting advising for startups. You mentioned a couple gong, um, Docebo, God, there's a long list. Honestly, it's hard to go through. Showpad, Pipedrive, others that I, I sort of helped consult and advise for, and then actually um, jumped jumped back in all the way in, as they say, yeah. um, as a co-founder and co-CEO of a company called Cosell.io that I just uh, sort of recently announced, pretty recently. Yeah, uh, tell, tell everybody, tell everybody what Cosell. Is, uh, is all about, give people some context. Yeah, at a high level, what Cosell's doing is just sort of helping salespeople um, leverage relationships and warm introductions to try to get in the door with, with prospective customers um, at a very simple view. Um, a simple value proposition, yet not one that most salespeople do on any scale. And I think more necessary now than ever with sort of the advent, all this sort of automation around how people prospect um, is creating, you know, sort of this brute force go to go to market motion that um, I fundamentally, just personally, many disagree, but I just personally don't believe it scales. And I think the number of companies- What do you define as brute force? Like how do you define brute force? So people- Um, I think the modern outbound 
um, sort of prospecting go-to-market philosophy, um, one-to-many email threading cadences, um, cold calling. I, I think you should do those things, but I think the the output at the end of the day is very unlikely to, to result in long-term success. If that's what if that's generally what you're doing, I think over the last ten years, Richard, you've been around. We've all been around long enough to remember there was a time back when marketing owned demand gen. <laughs> Uh, 10 times out of 10 and you know sort of the there's just so many tech there's so much tech out there there's so much competition to the same sort of customers and buying personas that marketing's ability to stand out in the ways they did 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago it's over arguably and so sales the last 10 years this has shifted almost exclusively to sales sales solves it one way uh, brute force, scorched earth. And, you know, I've worked with enough companies that have tried, um, you know, in, in, in lieu of better options, you have to, you have to try. It's that, or, you know, crawl up into a ball and go away. So, um, and so I've long believed like, God, you know, there's, there's all these relationships we have out here. There's all this intellectual capital we have. We can help each other as salespeople. Um, and that's, that's the general uh, philosophy of it is find people that have sort of parallel go to market motions towards similar types of companies, similar types of buyers where you're not competing, but you're overlapping and finding out and leveraging those in a, in an easy way. So what's that, yeah. what's that look like? And, and I, you know, without it, it's going to sound a little bit like a co-sell pitch I'm, and I'm kind of okay with it because it's very different. But what is yeah, that? Why like? don't I just, I can run through the pricing. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm actually, I'll just put a order form up here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll close the deal live. It'll yeah. be the first deal ever closed we're, live on the third. We're looking to podcast. make selling as easy as possible. Like literally you can buy it right in a podcast. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I think um, what it looks like is let's just take uh, hypothetically, let's take a uh, gong and outreach, right? Um, two companies, although they may ultimately end up competing, they don't compete, right? But broadly speaking, they're, they're both going after CROs and VPs of sales to their customer. So they have this overlapping go-to-market motion, but they're not competing against each other. So what if these two companies were able to say, hey, like, let's find out where our prospective customers overlap with your existing customers and vice versa. And then, you know, we can leverage introductions into as many accounts as we can. And those will close at an exponentially higher conversion rate and we're better companies. So it's like, you ever saw the movie days of thunder? Of course. Um, which uh, I re- I'll continue to reference in my career, even though fewer and fewer people uh, have seen the movie, but uh, there's a concept in the movie called drafting, yep. which is like, we're, you know, you're sort of leveraging each other to go faster without you know, sort of throw you know, without using more power and more, more fuel. Right. And yeah. It's just what I, mean, I believe in. I, I don't believe in the brute force model is a fit is a failed model. And so the way that I look at it and by the way, I've, you know, uh, friends with Manny at outreach friends with Kyle at sales loft. I, and I think that you absolutely should do that it has to be part of your toolkit, but it's not enough. And so right. that's, that's what I believe is, this is what's next so you basically sales stack is is yeah you're proselytizing the referral network right and and 
doing it in such a way. I would say what we're doing. Yeah, what we're, it's like creating a private. Yeah, you're creating a private sales graph, right? So think of it as LinkedIn is this massive open graph with no context. Really, this is a private graph with only context, right? With people that have all chosen to be there with you, and you've chosen to be with them. Where you have sort of, you know, you have um, call it parallel go-to-market motion. I've used that word obviously more than once in the last month, but you're, you're, you're rowing the same way, same direction. And so why, why would you just, why go it alone if you don't have to? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that, that whole spiel resonates a lot with Richard and I, because that was, that was kind of what we thought when we built surf and sales and decided to, you know, make yeah. a podcast. I was like, well, why would I go it alone? I'm, we're going to be better together. Right. And it's something that Amy Vola, I mean, a friend of mine, on Thursday night sales says all the time, like we're better together. So why not go yeah, at it that way? Scott, yeah. you've been a proponent of like the full stack sales rep, right? Yeah, sales people cycle, that yeah, are hundred percent that own quota and are also doing their own sort of deal development prospecting. And yeah. like, this is, I think pretty closely aligned with that. I think I'm coming to that conclusion, which you've already been at, which is that this sort of segmented SDR org and AE org, um, is it where you have complete delinea- delineation of responsibility is really, really hard <laughs> to scale. Yeah, um, really, really hard to scale. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to scale, and yet very few salespeople actually can prospect, right? And I think fewer salespeople, as, as, as we move along and more people have lived in that delineated uh, era, fewer salespeople will have that skill set. And so I think this... Just how do you make it easier, right? How do you make it easier to get into accounts? So here's my question, though. I would think because of the SDR culture, at least in the last three to five years, if those people want to be in sales and move into closing roles, and there's a whole issue of why they aren't getting there yet, because, you know, leadership doesn't want to take the risk. But won't those people, if they move into sales, be better at prospecting? And, And they'll even understand a process to do it. So that not that they should do it, the same way as an SDR, right? Like, and I agree with you. Yeah. That your arm. That's, I think that would be, forward. that would be more of where I stand is that, yeah, like the best salespeople AEs I know are people that know how to leverage, you know, relationships, commonalities. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's like an art, kind of an art, right? It's like, yeah. like, but my philosophy when I was coming up in my career is like, I never wanted to be cold, completely cold ever. Cause it's, you know, like part of it was like, you know, I I didn't, I wasn't like a natural, maybe extrovert, like some people. And so Mm -hmm. I I did, I never wanted to just come just no context. I I, I think about that, uh, you know, now in terms of, in terms of my business, I I was doing a training last night and, and I was explaining to people cold calling sucks. And it's also like a, a low, low probability of success. So why would I outbound in my business if I don't have to, if I can, if I can do all these things that I do and create inbound for myself, won't I be happier? Won't I be less stressed? And won't I have a higher conversion? Uh, And and the answer is yes. And so leveraging who, you know, and, and trying to get in and break into deals together, it seems, uh, you know, super logical to me and and a wave of the future. I want to go back yeah. a couple of minutes to what you said about the demand gen 
you know, function and, and how marketing in the old sense is like disappearing. All of that demand gen stuff, the burden of this has fallen upon salespeople now yes. and, yeah. and sales leadership. So I want you to rewind the tape 15 years, Brendan, and go back to, you know, leading sales at LinkedIn and Echo. Can you imagine having to, you know, focus so much of your time on, on building a brand and creating content and producing all these things that brought you in, you know, inbound and warmer leads and all that stuff. How much different is being a VP of sales now than it was, you know, when, when all of us were kind of first in the, in the role? Well, there's a lot more choices. First off, if you're, you know, if you are in demand and quite frankly, even if you're not in demand, but um, so there's just so many, you know, different types of verticals and, and, subgroups and all sorts of stuff right so it's like there's a lot more choices there's a lot more obviously venture capital um so i remember when i went to echo sign there were not a lot of vpsls roles for SaaS companies period there were not a lot of SaaS companies right um and i was like oh my god I'm, i felt and this was obviously this is coming you know sort of post subprime meltdown all that kind of stuff and so um you know now there's just an infinite number of choices and, and I think in that, in noise, and there's so many more companies that you just look at and like, you hear the pitch and you just, no, 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 you know, you're, you're done. Like you're five seconds into your pitch and, you know, you, have, I, I can tell you, you're not going to make it as a company. <laughs> um, not all the time, but there's just, there's a lot more companies like that where, um, and so that makes it obviously, you know, the process. So I'm, I guess I'm more talking about like, how do you pick the right opportunity? But yeah, yeah. obviously the, the advent of outbound and having all the, de- the pressure of demand gen on sales and sales leadership now, um, yeah. you know, I would say ha- anyone, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that the, the, how do you pick question is interesting from both sides of the table. Because founders have a hell of a time picking the right VP of sales, in particular, the right stage appropriate VP of sales. Yeah. And VPs of sales have a hell of a time picking a winning horse, right? Yes. I bet, I bet on not the best horses more than once. And it took me a long time to start figuring out how to bet on horses that were, you know, yeah. possibly going to show and finally picking one that's going to, you know, place, yeah. right? So For sure. how, how do you, is, is, is the dilution of talent that is in the, the VP of sales seat now a big part of the problem on top of the dilution in terms of the number of SaaS companies? So there's a lot more companies that are going to fail and there's a lot more people in VPs of sales roles who maybe are not qualified to be there. So that's going to cause them to fail. How do you, how well, do you sure, think right. about there's that? A, there's a, there's a, you know, whatever you want to call it, the supply, you know, supply and demand issue, right? There's more and more companies. Are there more and more VPs of sales that are qualified <laughs> to lead and build those companies? No, right? There's there's not. Um, there's probably people that are qualified, but don't know it or, qual- you know? So, I mean, I think that the, the profile of a startup VP of sales hire has shifted, I think, for the better from like, 
let's get like an ex Salesforce. No offense, I know Salesforce is sponsor this <laughs> this podcast, so no offense. But Oracle, right? Big okay, they, they told us we can do it, say whatever we need to say, so it's all yeah. good. <laughs> Just I know where you're headed with this one, by the way. Bleep it out, <laughs> yeah. Nah. but it, it that used to be like you know you you talk to a founder or CEO, and that's the type of profile their board would be steer them to. Now they don't. Now they're like, okay, now now they're like, we want somebody that's been there, done it, and won in a startup. And you're like, that's yeah. great. I you think that I, I mean, you know, Scott at least been, you know. Yeah, Scott and I've been talking about that? that for a long time. That don't hire the pedigree, right? Like, no. you know, a, a the challenge with whether it's Oracle or Google or Salesforce that if you hire that person at a startup, many times they've never actually had to build it from the ground up. No. Right. Like they, and it's not their fault. They've just, that's just a bigger organization. Now, if you're going from 10 to 20 million, 20 to 50 million, well, then maybe that is the time to bring in someone like that who understands scale and has seen it and, and maybe executed on it. But I, I completely agree with you. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's such a great conversation. Yeah. And it's, I could literally talk about it for hours on end because, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily like here's the here's the philosophy, you know that you you can't deviate. It's more like here's the checklist of things that you should be thinking about, and you should you should just make sure you check all these boxes. Right. Understanding that you know you're probably not going to get these people up here. <laughs> yeah. But you should try and like you know maybe in a, in once you understand that you can't get them, maybe that helps clarify who you, who you really should should hire. So. Yeah. I have a, most, I have a what, what most companies do is they take they they swing out their A candidates. There's like ideal fits who are not coming. <laughs> Those people may not be going anywhere. <laughs> period. Mm-hmm. Like you know, <laughs> us probably. You know, we're I'm a borderline yeah. unhirable VP of sales candidate. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm close to that. I think. <laughs> yeah, I, have a, I have a question for you because you you work with you know a very successful gentleman, um, you know Lemkin over at EchoSign, right? You came yeah. in as, I think, employee number 10. Um, what's it like going from that stage to a bigger stage? And that's a big question, so let me narrow it down. You've got to have a tremendous um, vision to be able to go as a founder to go from start to acquisition, right? Do you and, want to talk about the, the, I mean, obviously I know less about the exact, exactly the founder experience or the VP of sales experience of that. Well, I'm just wondering what it's like if you're moving into a VP of sales role and it is something good, like, like echo sign was a, you know, it was a game changer, right? It was in that niche of places at that point. Um, What's it like to get on that kind of a rocket ship and what should a VP of sales or someone who's moving into a VP of sales role be aware of? Okay. When you get on this rocket ship, here's what's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's, I'm always, it's, it's always actually kind of challenging to go back and say, this is exactly why we were successful because there's a lot of reasons why we were successful. I'd say, first off, it's fun, right? When you really get rolling and you're just every month is like a record and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, you know, that's the fun. That's, that was the first time I truly, truly loved my job ever really. Like I loved it. I loved coming into work. I felt so much ownership um, more than I had ever felt before. Um, and 
Jason had give, had empowered me that way for a lot of reasons, but like, and so that, in that way it was, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever really loved coming to work for a few years, quite frankly, right. Going through all this growth and we had this extraordinarily talented team and we were, you know, as we were getting bigger, we were an unflattening, we were promoting those people and that really worked. And I, it was something I sort of tangentially believed in before that, but sort of doing it and seeing it in action yeah. made me a true believer that this is the way to build a sales organization because, you know, everybody, you know, first off, it just reinforces that this is a meritocracy, right? right. And the people that perform, right, for this company, not their last company, not <laughs> future companies, but that perform here and that they embody like our ideals and values, they will be given a chance to move up. I don't care what their resume says. Right. And so, you know, we just ended up with this, you know, this organization where you had super empowered people that felt empowered, people that believed in what we were doing and what our values were. And that was a great experience in my career. That's what I think is the key. I'm really glad you said is that if you're looking to move into a role, part of your interview process, right? Before your vetting process, aside from, hey, it's a cool technology and there's a good product market fit and you can start to see some of that is how empowering will your CEO let you be as a head of sales, right? I, yeah. I once had you know an interview and I literally said, you know, these are the tools I need, right? I need you know all these kinds of tools and do I need to come to you to approve them or do I have a budget? And he was, I was told, you're gonna have a budget. That's what happened when I got there. Everything had to be approved by him. You know, I'm talking $50 per user license, yeah. three users to HubSpot. Like, really? Like, yeah. it's going to cost us more to sit and talk about it than it is to you to get it. So that empowerment key piece is really key. And I, you know, for people yeah. listening, that's the kind of question you need to be asking. Not and I've had, I've had, yeah, I've had the, I've had that experience of working for that kind of leader. I've had the experience of not working for that kind of leader, right? <laughs> of working for somebody that, you know, you know, that had presented what this was going to be like. And then you literally gone on day one, you know, sort of day one, you're like, Oh fuck. <laughs> did that, did that, did that leadership style of the person who kind of stayed out of your way or empowered you? Did it, was it, did it remain consistent or did it change? And, and let, let me add a little layer of context. This has been my experience more than once. And I am curious if it's yours in year one, they kind of bring you in because they don't know what they're doing and they're, they're super humble about it. And, and you're like a hero, right? Like, Oh my gosh, Brendan's <laughs> amazing. Like Scott's saving yeah. the world. Right. And then in a year two, uh, you know, they start to ask some questions and they poke around a little bit and they've heard yeah. a lot of advice from people and they start to wonder why you're doing what you're doing. And they, 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 they start to agitate you a little yeah. bit. And by year three, they think that they know as much or more than you. And you're, you're not the, player. you're not the, you're not the barrier to success. That's right. That's right. You, you must be the problem, right? So this is, that's, that's like the arc that I've experienced in my career, which is probably why I've, I've never lasted more than three years and one month at any particular place. Did that person who empowered you, did that empowerment stay true through all yes. of your time there or did it have, did it evolve? It did. It stayed true. It did with, with Jason. And I think that's, Again, like we could probably, you know, nobody wants to do a 10 hour podcast here, but we probably could. But, um, but he, he, this was not his first rodeo, right? He had been a founder before he had, you know, had investors before on his board. 
and he really knew how to handle his investors. Um, that, I mean, that was a, lear- a super learning experience for me, right? How he managed. We had some impressive people on the board, and I was, you know, I, I, still to this day, that's my that's my, you know, that's my image of how it should be done. Um, and so, you know, the board had had influence and all the rest of it, but it was Jason's company, right? And you know, they weren't, you know. What happens in a lot of these companies as you have success, you raise money, you get you know new investors, new people on the board, and if you have a a founder or CEO that's that's got open ears to these people, they can send them in a million different directions, right? So like, I did a blog post, <laughs> I don't know when it was years ago, you know, talking about avoid the CEO that you know goes you know that leaves work Friday and then reads a book and then comes back on Monday and has a new business strategy, right? Because he read in the, you know, in the cloud by Mark Benioff, right? Right. That's, you want to avoid that, right? Because it's just very, it's, it's so disruptive and disconcerting, right? When you have somebody that like, you never know exactly what they're going to prioritize that day. That's hilarious. I love that post. That's hilarious. I may have to. Especially, especially, especially by the way, that, that, that CEO is a very, is a very close friend of mine now. Yeah. Um, not somebody that I would prefer to work for, but like a friend and somebody that, you know, it's just, you know, I think, yeah. Finding somebody that you really want to work for that you're, you're like, I really want, I could work for this person for four years. Um, which is, that's, that's an incredibly high bar to clear for any, for anyone that really knows what they're doing. I think. Yeah. I, I think that's an important point. Like, <clears throat> that bar gets higher and higher the more experience we get having been in the seat before yes. and the more times we've been through it and the older we get and the more curmudgeon we get, right? Like that bar is really high right now. You know? Yeah. We're looking, we're like, uh, we're like Jerry Seinfeld in his, uh, in relationships, exactly. right? That's we're right. looking for yeah. one thing, right? Like, you know, Oh, you know, she's right. got man hands or, you know, that kind you know, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't work there. Can't work there. You're like almost that. looking for it because you want to find it, right? You want to find, you know, like that's from a consulting and advising standpoint. I, I can only imagine the number of times that you guys have been approached about jobs just as I have. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's just, it's almost, there's like no, you're just like, okay, well. Well, you said it yourself. You're almost unemployable. <laughs> right? Like, Nobody can afford it anymore. Right. Except as a co as a co-founder, that was the yeah. that was the limit. Yeah. So. Go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. I have a question as, as we're talking about VPs of sales and and you know getting that level of empowerment um, and talking about board members. What advice do you give to to those VPs of sales about going into their first board meeting? Right, like okay, here's how you need to. You know, because, you know, a VP of sales will put together, look at our pipeline and look at our close ratio and look at all the logos we've got. And next thing you know, the VP of sales is going on for 35 or 45 minutes at the board meeting. And unless it's designed for that, that's not always the case. Right. So I'm curious. Yeah. First off, control your heartbeat, because as a VP of sales, your first board meeting, it's a big milestone. And like, you're going to be nervous. Anyone that says they're not nervous before that is a liar. 100%. When I my first board meeting, I was like, you know, I my my section was like maybe forty five minutes to an hour into it, 
And like, I could literally hear my heart beating in my ear for 45 minutes. Like, you know, like, is it like going on a shark tank? Is it like that? (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was so nervous that I thought that like, I don't know that I can control this. Right. Like, I don't know that because like, you know, your voice would start to crack, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. And so that was like a big moment in my career is like, I was able like, like right before my part was about to come up, I was able to like get control of myself and then, you know, deliver the, the, you know, sort of minimal viable product of that, of whatever section it it was, I was there to present for. But um, yeah, I would say relax uh, before you go into a first meeting, understand that nobody in that board meeting knows more about what your problems are and what your potential solutions are than you and your team. Never in my entire career in hundreds and hundreds of board meetings have I ever walked out of a board meeting being like, God damn, that guy saw right through me. Right. (laughs) What? um, Um, No, keep going. Sorry. Never. Um, My my anxiety around going to the board meetings was always way overinflated compared to the reality of how the board yeah. meeting went. <laughs> I would, and, I would and, talk and to re- Scott and Scott would be like, Richard, I'm going in my board meeting. It's a regular board meeting. And he's like, I think they're going to fire me when I'm in there. Like that is yeah, which, mentality. Which, which, I, which I would say, whether I'm like pacing 70% to goal or 700% to goal, yes. I would still be like, oh, I'm for sure. I'm going to my execution. That's for sure what's happening. That's what, that's what he said. <laughs> so, so what do you... You know, Brandon, when you when you think about that, so I actually I didn't answer your question. So yeah, go I would ahead. say let less is more, and speak with certainty the things that you're, you know, overwhelmingly confident are true. Um, but don't commit to a bunch of things that you're not sure of. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say be non-committal because, but just be like, yeah, this is what my, you know, this is what we've seen so far, right? A, B, C, D, and E. We're pretty sure these things are true. We're pretty sure that we can do these things better, you know, but like, yeah, don't, you know, it's your first board meeting. You shouldn't, you know, what, what kind of expect, what kind of questions should you expect in a first board board meeting as a VP of sales versus maybe it's your third or fourth right now, now, because, because I think the board doesn't want to, unless, unless it's not going really well, you know, I don't think the board wants to scare the shit out of you. Like they already know that you're coming in that way. Right. I think they want to be supportive to you, but it's going to be different the first quarter, the first meeting than it is going to be the fourth one a year later. Yeah, I think I think they want to see, like, do you have the beginnings of some sort of framework around not necessarily having anything repeatable, but like, how do we how do we identify how we can become repeatable or build some sort of, you know, some sort of machine just that you have some idea. Um, You know, I think that's what they're looking for. Um, I think going in there and trying to blow them away with pipeline is not a good idea. Um, so I think, yeah, I, w- I would just say less is more. And hopefully, you know, you, sh- you have a founder and a CEO that's, you know, setting you up to be successful in that board meeting. And they're not just like throwing you out on an Island or something, which again is another, that would also be concerning, <laughs> but um, yeah, less, less is more would be my general philosophy around it. Now, as somebody who's brought, God knows how many companies, you know, to market and advise others. Um, one thing that I wanted, I've been wanting to ask you is you have a product, let's say, you know, you can sell it into God knows how many verticals, right? 
and and your ICP is is not not super specific. This this is like not a vertical SaaS kind of play, right? This like, is like like box. I could, yes, I could sell it everywhere. Okay. Right. How do you draw a line in the sand and say this is where I'm going first, right? And and not spread yourself too thin and say, well, okay, well, I'm going to make ten calls each to these ten different verticals where I don't really get any, you know, significant amount of data to draw any conclusions. How do you, how do you know where to begin? And I, I get asked this question all the time. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really curious for, for your perspective. I mean, it depends, it depends on what you, what you're looking to achieve, right? Are you looking to, is it about like sort of customer acquisition? Is it about sort of maximum deal size about, you know, like you're talking about a product like, box or something like that, right? That can be used by multiple areas within yes. the business, yes. multiple and I, industries. And I think, and I, that's right. And I think, I think for early stage founders, I think what they're looking for is, is traction, right? They're looking, they're looking to get a few deals in. I don't think they're really trying to maximize, um, you know, their average contract value yet. They're sort, right. of, they're sort of just trying to, to prove like, this is a, this is a viable thing and kind of practice our, our sales motion and test out whether our, our, our sales playbook, you know, is going to work. And they're like, should I sell to, you know, I don't know, should I sell to like real estate? Should I sell the mortgage? Should I sell the lawyer? Like whatever, you know, we're selling. How do you, how do you pick? What's the criteria for picking? Or is it really just like, look, I know we can sell to these, you know, all these umpteen number of different verticals. Like, I'm just going to go with this one and I'm going to hammer it and I'm going to make it work. And then when I make it work, I well, know I can sell to the other one. Right. I mean, we kind of, that sort of was sort of the case at EchoSign, I'd say a little bit, right. It was e-signature yeah, would... could be used by sales and HR and, you know, there, there real estate, there were, there were different verticals and use cases. I think like it, you know, sort of there's like inbound leads, right. There's leads that are being driven through marketing, right. That are probably going to be across the board. As far as uh, if you're lucky, what, I'm not sure I know what that's like, Brendan. <laughs> there, there'll be variation in it, right? Um, and we didn't have an infinite number of leads, but they, you know, there was like, there wasn't usually like, at least in the early days, there wasn't that much consistency in like what they wanted to use it for. And so, like, I think that you can, whatever you want to call it, you can sort of chase those deals, right? And then I think from an outbound slash targeting standpoint, you, you need to figure out where, hey, like where are we most mission critical potentially. You may not know that yet, but um, so what do, you, do we do think? Do you actually do you actually remember when you were at Echo Sign, like what vertical you picked as far as you know when you started outbound, you know, sales activities? You remember? Yes, it was, it was sort of sales and re, sort of the sales and revenue use case. Um, that was pretty clearly for us. That was the, that was the most strategic mode. That was the motion where we could, you know, control our sales cycle most efficiently, um, where, you know, we really understood the, you know, the sales process and the customer psychology, whereas like, you know, selling to a chief, you know, to a general counsel, <laughs> right. They may need e-signature or document execution or whatever, but like, that's not, Generally, not not an area that you want to you want to spend a bunch yeah, of cycles selling. To. So we did this at Mastery, and 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 this is what I learned, and then what I also think has changed is one, 
your CEO is helping to identify those verticals and they're having those conversations all the time now, right? Like that's, they're not even pitching as much as they're like, Hey, I want your advice on this. Right. Then you're, you're, you know, you do have to sort of take a stab at two, maybe three verticals. That's it. And you, cause marketing can't create the messaging for all that. Right. And you got to own those verticals. And as soon as you realize they're failing, you stop. Right. And then from there, the new verticals will actually start to find you in many cases, right? We went through this at Mashery uh, with APIs and API management where, you know, we focused on, we knew travel had a lot of APIs. We knew retail had a lot of APIs. We knew that um, uh, data sources had APIs, right? And so we really focused and honed in on that and got those customer stories. And then eventually insurance came along. Right. People were like, why aren't we going after insurance companies? Because they got to trade all this data back and forth. And we were like, yeah, we're still going through SOC 2 compliance. So that won't work because we already know that's going to be a challenge. And, you know, trying to move Blue Cross Blue Shield is such a behemoth that it's a whole lot easier to go after Travelocity or Expedia. Right. Um, so that was sort of my thought on those kinds of things. Um, but, but anyway, I, I, I think you're on the same page. I think we're smarter about it now. And Scott, having worked for you, um, I think you did the same thing, whether it was, but it might've been unnaturally at Leapfish, right? Like it was all about real estate. And part of that was because that's what you knew. Like you knew the product yeah. would fit real estate because you'd sold the real estate. I had familiarity with it. So right. therefore I had confidence. Right. And so, so what, you, what was the name of the company? Oh, it's, it's called Leap. Well, it was called Leapfish. And it's one of the greatest natural disasters of startups I've ever seen. We, Scott, built the, a- The rise and demise. The right. rise and demise. Went from zero to 70 reps and zero to $800,000 a month revenue in 10 months. And then it all came crashing down. So, um, yeah. which would be another fun story to tell, Scott, unless we thought we might get in trouble. But, um, <laughs> so, even though it was 10 years ago. Um, so you guys were on the same team together? Yeah, the, the story, the quick story of that is, is that many, many years ago, I was a VP of sales and I had a, one of Scott's friends work for me and he tried to get Scott to come, tried to get me to interview Scott. And I was like, this guy has no sales experience. I'm not bringing him in. And then fast forward five years later, I call this guy because I needed a job. And he's like, talk to my friend, Scott. Scott hires me. And we didn't even know this story existed until about two years ago, till till our friend told us. So Richard wouldn't hire Scott. Scott hired yeah. Richard, but didn't remember that Richard wouldn't hire Scott. And um, and then we- Yeah, so, yeah, so who's, who's the bigger asshole now, Richard? Huh? <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I'm so glad you can finally admit it. That's the best part, so. Brendan, I wanna, I wanna ask you uh, how you feel about uh, the, the rise of side hustles and employees having all this action rather than just being focused on their, their W2 um, and, you know, the, the brand building movement and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, you're about to go, you're about to potentially go through it as you, as you hire and scale, you know, co-sell. What, what is your take on all this? Um, well, I mean, so obviously I, I know people like us, right. People that have are, whatever you want to call us, thought leaders, you know, people read our content, engage, all that kind of stuff. You're talking about people that like sales reps that are already employed that are running side hustles. That's right. Is that, I don't know. Is that as, uh, 
is that is that a uh, that's a big thing well that's 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 absolutely a, a big like thing, a side know? like what's the side hustle i guess is there okay well that's a good point i mean it's not like they're running a software company on the side or something like that right but right. you know maybe maybe they're um doing some content creation and they're and they're you know writing write a book already and trying to sell it or they're building a course or you know, creating a little micro uh, community. They're just, they're finding ways to diversify their income stream. And, and one of the tools of doing that is spending time building their brand online. And so they're trying to cut the line, if you will, and, and, and rise in, in popular popularity without having 20 years of experience on their, on their resume to do it. And so they protect themselves. And I understand it. you protect yourself uh, in case you do lose your job, you okay, you've got this other stuff going on. And maybe it makes it easier to find the next job because, uh, you know, you've, you've done a good job of branding yourself. And so as I mean, somebody I, who's as somebody who led yeah. teams before that was a thing, and now as somebody who's a founder who is going to, you know, presumably scale and grow the size of your organization this year and next year and whatnot, you're going to be hiring people who have a lot of things going on. And, and I'm just curious how you feel in general about this whole like brand building and side hustle kind of movement. Are you, are you all for it? Are you, do you support it? Do you think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. People... Yeah. If it doesn't affect your performance as you know, whatever your job is, if you're in SDR and AE or a head of sales or VP of sales or whatever, whatever your role is, if you're able to do that and do it well, and also, you know, sort of work on building and promoting your brand. I think it's fine. I don't have an issue with that. I think it's great. I think the, I think the challenge comes in that, um, that, you know, even if a VP of sales can go in and produce, you know, 150%, 200% year over year revenue growth, the CEO and maybe even some of the board members are like, wait, all this time he's doing building his brand, we could be at 400% year over year growth. So technically you're hitting the number, but they're just looking for an excuse because to your point, Brendan, they they read never split the difference over the weekend, and they think they know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll put it in the from the context of like being a sales leader and having a team of people, and you know, if I I wouldn't have an issue if I hired ten people that all had aspirations to be VPs of sales someday. Um, some people disagree with that. Some people feel like, and obviously there's a difference between the people that have the aspiration and the work ethic and the people that have the aspiration and want to cut corners. Right. Obviously. But like if, if, you know, if you're an AE and you have aspiration to be a VP of sales and you're spending 7% of your time, you know, sort of working on your brand and content, you don't really have an aspiration to be a VP of sales, right? Like, um, and it's pretty, you know, it's pretty easy to, to identify that. I, th I would think it's pretty easy to identify it as a Scott. Brendan you know, would never have you around after year two. What's that? You would never have Scott <laughs> around after year two, as much as Scott. <laughs> Scott is your fanboy, but you know, as he said at the beginning of the show. But you know, Scott, based on how I know you work, you're gonna be like, yeah, this is gonna go for a good two or three years. So, but that, but it does it, Brendan or Richard or anybody like that's all that it's gonna be anyway. You know, which which brings up the conversation we've had many times before about the whole vesting schedule and the arbitrary four year vest 
and stage appropriate hires. Like let's say, let's say Brendan, you know, did want to hire me. Right. And, and, and let's say his goal after two, two years was to make sure that we were north of 10 million ARR. Okay. Arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. Well, if I, if I do that, have I not done my job? Have I not done sure. exactly what I went there to do? Yeah. Should I then be penalized because I don't stick around for year three and four and therefore don't, don't vest. If you're, if you're up front about it, yeah, if you're up front about it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Um, so if, if, if you, if you're up front, maybe about I should it, go work for Brendan Richard. <laughs> well, I've never, I, in fairness, I've never reached. Hey, Co-Cell's an Austin, Co-Cell's an Austin based company. Okay. So, there's you know, hope. there's hope yet. <laughs> two of my, I got, we got three co-founders, two are in Austin. So, you know, so that, but you know, the difference is Scott, you have a, you've done that better and more than I have. So I think it's a different, it's a different place. Uh, for us but um, I know I mean you should we you know like I want my people I want I want to be you know I think I've I've taken a pretty active role in sort of promoting people that have worked for me not just Mm -hmm. anybody but you know people that I believe in Um, like I want them to be BPs of sales and so you know hopefully if someone's working for they understand that I'm you know I'm all about promoting them and all about them getting on a path to you know do the things they really want to do in their life and their career that they don't feel like they have to like you know spend two hours a day (laughs) running their own side podcast um i mean there's definitely a lot there's a lot of people out there you know that have strong takes on stuff where you're like why would you what would be the what would what would be the impetus for you to even have an opinion on this you know like i don't get it um, and so you, you see, there's a lot of that stuff, a lot of yeah. hot takes and all that kind of stuff from people that are like, have never done anything. Um, no offense, but to anyone, but like, you know, and so I think, yeah, like we should be all about promoting people that have worked for us. I have like, just off that echo sign team. I think there's like eight people that are VPs of sales now. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that's, uh, I'm sure, I mean, I can hear it in your voice, but like, there's such a sense of, Oh yeah. That's pride. And like, joy, like you go watch these people succeed and it's like, so cool. You know, like I, I remember I have one guy who used to work for me who's a VP of sales. Now it's like, I remember this guy when he was an entry level sales rep, yeah. you know, like just trying to figure things out. And it's like, I don't know. That's that's part of the legacy that you've uh, that you've left behind. Yeah, that's that is the most really the most rewarding part um, yeah. over the long haul, like sustainable, yeah. in the relationships that you build, right? And the, and and all that stuff that that actually matters more than you know the money and all the rent or who the investors were or whatever, you know. So yeah, yeah we gotta we gotta wrap it up here and, and okay. thank you uh, first first to our sponsors and obviously to you, but. Thanks to Salesforce Revenue Cloud. Thanks to Wingman. Thanks to Lead Four One One, and thanks to Vidyard uh, for supporting us on the Serpent Sales Podcast. Um, Brendan, you know we always end the show a little differently, which is, you know, what advice can we give you? Although I feel like, you know, you may know it all already. So, how can we be helpful to you? Is a better way to phrase it. Oh, that's why you're better than me. This is why you get there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know. I don't like, I'm not going to, I'm not asking you guys to like help promote Cosell, right? Because, you know, that's, 
I don't, I don't ask people to do that. Right. But like, I think, yeah, like, you know, behaviorally, like, you know, how we're, yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do is build essentially a new, it's a behavioral change. Right. And so, you know, we're, we obviously want as many people that are aligned and, and believe in, in this, it's just change in behavior is necessary. So mm. yeah, the more, you know, the more conversations you guys have or, or get, you know, the more you guys bring that up in conversations you have and get other, get people's opinions around it. Um, that sounds very self-serving by the way. <laughs> hey, you're allowed. We um, just gave you permission to that, be self That's part of okay. being a guest. You do get to, you know, you're not, no, I don't think anybody here would go, oh, I can't believe he just pitched. No, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you've earned the right to say that it's for me, it's, it's, it was a pretty bit, you know, the, to jump back in full all the way. Right. Uh, You know, ankle, you know, neck deep. Yep. Yeah. Was, you know, not a a small decision, life decision, easy to not do that. Yeah. And so I view this as um, really the most important thing I've done in my career. Um, and yeah, like that's, to me, this is, you know, this is not, it's, if there's one thing I do for the rest of my career would be to change the way we do this stuff. Right. Because, you know, the image of like sales guys and like, uh, you know, Willie Loman <laughs> play in 1970 with styrofoam cups and coffee, you know, and cold calling and, you know, that image of sales to me is, is such a relic. And, you know, like just that's that's what I want. I want to be a part of changing that and how we sell and that we do it through relationships. I think many thought that LinkedIn would be the platform for that. Um, It wasn't. And, you know, so that's that's why I view this as, you know, the most important thing I've done. It's in in so far the most aligned with, you know, at a sort of like product and idea market fit most aligned I've, I've, I've been in a company this early that quickly. So, yeah. Well, you know, you know, I'm on your side and I'm, I'm, I'm here yeah. to help, man. I appreciate you spending yeah. some time with us and good luck with, uh, with everything and, and, you know, stay in touch, Brendan. Yeah. I'll be, so much. Tra- I'll be as soon as, as soon as we're okay to travel, I'll, I'll be spending some time in Austin for sure. You know? So. Yeah. We'll, we'll be sure to link up when you're here. Cool. Cool. Man. Okay, Richard, man. Thanks. Thanks, Brendan. thanks so much. Enjoy the hills of Moraga, Richard. I will. He lives, it's a beautiful, it's like uh, Nirvana out there. Yeah, he went to St. Mary, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I know, so, I know. So Richard lives right next to my alma mater, which we call the Har- Harvard of the West. Right. St. Mary's College. So That's what we know. called University of Arizona, too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, did. no, that's Harvard Southwest. Harvard right. Southwest. That's what, our, that's what our chancellor or whatever he's supposed to be called said. We're going to turn this Scott, in. where'd you go? I went to Arizona State. Okay. Uh, for, gra- okay. for grad school, but I went to Dominican So that's like the Yale of the Southwest. Southwest. Got it. Right. Yeah, that's right. I'm a Yale of the Southwest. That's right. I try to do this. I promote St. Mary's as a Harvard, Harvard of the West. It's like an exercise, right? To see if I can help create some sort of movement around that. So it is a great school. school. It is a really good school. For sure. <laughs> awesome, man. Right, Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you.